Happy People Patrick and Barry. And on this particular episode, our match of the week, a very special match of the week, because, you know, I mentioned we're going back to our uh, top 100 of the 80s that I did many years ago. Well, this week, Barry Rose, in fact, we are offering up my number 20 match of the decade. Yes, we're on on a top 20 uh, uh, type of deal. And it's interesting because I have some thoughts as to whether or not I, in fact, placed it correctly. Besides all that, oh, we're going to, Barry, we had fun talking to the Warlord. Oh, yeah. Thank you to our friend Nick Massey for hooking us up with that interview. A fun interview, Barry. He was a good guy to talk to. He was. You know what? And Warlord was one of those guys, uh, you know, he was definitely one of the bigger professional wrestlers I ever remember. And I don't think that career was really, you know, great in length. I want to say Warlord was only around five, six years, maybe. You know, I don't think he had the longest career. I didn't really know, you know, I knew about that angle that took place with the Road Warriors and uh, and his partner, the Barbarian, and we talked about that. And I we talked about some of this stuff up north, but I didn't know a whole lot. But as you just said, what a great guy, right? Like came out yep, of nowhere, yeah. just won us. I love it. Yeah, gives us gives us a uh, some Fuji rib stories. Tells about what he's been doing the last few years, which may or may not be of interest to <clears throat> some of our listeners, Barry. I, won't wow. mention any by uh, by name. Uh, uh, we're going to offer a little Florida man or not, because we always like to throw that in there. Before we start, Barry, want to give a special shout out to our friend and brother shipper, Jesus Salas Rodriguez, living in Puerto Rico, which, Barry, I don't know if you've seen the news, man. Holy crap. Puerto Rico got absolutely just slammed by Hurricane Fiona. Uh, I believe the entirety of the of the country, the island, whatever you want to call it, without power. And uh, he says, uh, you know, I, I reached out to him last night and then I posted something about it in the group. He said, not only do we not have power, we don't have running water. So uh, he's but they expect the water to come on within the next day or two. But he says the power, it's going to be quite a while before they get power back there, Bear. Well, the, well, so the good news and I, I don't know about specifically where Jesus is, but as you said, and I was following Fiona last night and into this morning, the as you said, the entire island was without power like there. There was just no power other than, you know, generators, I guess, gas power generators. There was nothing happening on the island. The storm moved off, I believe, right about now as we're recording. It's been hammering the Dominican Republic the last few hours. I know certain key cities in on Puerto Rico have power. And sadly, and this is something that, you know, maybe needs to be looked at because I believe they when the last hurricane went through a couple of years back, the devastation was like just never before. But from what I was hearing about the power being restored, it was uh, hospitals, you know, which should be right. Hospitals should always get it. But then it sounded like a lot of the big hotels where the tourists are, that that's where they decided to uh, to go next. So I don't know all the logistics and parameters of how that works, but, you know, all our best because this Fiona just looks like a, a really ugly storm in in a year where it's been relatively quiet so far. I know that, you know, September, October generally are the heaviest months, but it's been a really quiet hurricane season so far, Jeff. Yeah, I, I keep waiting for uh, the uh, seemingly inevitable news about uh, somewhere in Florida being under the cone of uncertainty. Uh, they've been very lucky. And, uh, you know, so uh, Jose, uh, Jesus, sorry, uh, I was going to say we're certainly thinking of you, uh, all your brother shippers are out there thinking a good thought for you, your neighbors, your friends, and all the people uh, 
on the island of Puerto Rico. Barry, before we get to our match of the week, uh, and I'm going to offer some details of uh, when and where that took place in a second. Hey, you love a good story, Barry, because uh, let's sit down, uh, crack open an adult beverage and listen to story time with the booker. Because I told Barry this story uh, and Lou before we started recording. Barry, let's talk about the arrogance of the good folks at Xfinity. Ooh, are you ready, Bear? Oh, I, I absolutely. So uh, the wife and I, uh, as we recently had moved, of course, uh, uh, to the new home and where we had been at for the last three years, we uh, used uh, the Xfinity services uh, for our provider and all that kind of stuff and had zero complaints about them. Uh, service wise, uh, they were fine, uh, enjoyed all the programming that they offered and, and such like that. But of course, when we moved, we're, uh, I don't want to say we're out in the middle of bumfuck, but we're kind of a little bit more out in the country. We don't live in a, uh, development or a gated community or anything like that. Our houses, uh, is down, a, uh, you know, off the main road and, and such. And so when we checked into it, we found out that Xfinity is not offered in this area. And because of that, we had to go with the direct TV streaming service. And trust me, yesterday I was not able to use the Red Zone uh, package uh, offered. And I found out that I'm not going to be able to use it, which is another story altogether. Uh, Barry, I will cry later about that. But so my wife was calling up Xfinity to make sure that uh, we had got the final bill so she knew what to pay, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when she got the final bill from Xfinity, she noticed there was an additional charge of approximately eh, like $110, $120. And so my wife called up Xfinity and said, well, uh, why is uh, this extra $110, $120 on our bill? Oh, that's an early termination fee. Oh. She was an early termination fee. Why are we being charged an early termination fee? Because we would have kept your services, uh, Xfinity, but you don't provide this uh, area where we live, so we couldn't keep Xfinity. So it's not really our, pro- you know, our fault. Well, so she was on the phone uh, for the first time, and uh, we, you know, got in there. He explained it to us. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to forward this to a supervisor. We'll get that fee waived for you. Uh, because obviously, uh, what you explained, you moved to an area that we don't provide service to. That's a, you know, legitimate concern and reason. And so we'll see that it get, that it gets waived and I'll forward this to a supervisor. And so about four or five days go by and we don't hear anything. And, you know, my wife's just like, you know, we need to call him again because I want to know what it is. What's the final total that I owe these people so I can pay it because I don't want them sending me to collections or something because I haven't paid the bill because I want to know how much I owe. So we call him again and we call him again. And then we get a guy on the phone and the guy on the phone says, uh, well, first of all, I don't know who told you that they would waive that fee because usually the only time they waive that early termination fee. <clears throat> you ready for this bear? Oh, yeah. Dying to hear it. Oh, well, literally and figuratively, it's because if someone died. Sure. Okay. That's when they would waive the uh, the early termination fee. So my wife uh, explains again as I'm sitting there kind of on the couch stewing, listening to this conversation. And, and, you know, she goes, we didn't have any choice. If you guys had offered the service here, we gladly would have accepted it. Trust me, my husband would have kept it because he wants the Red Zone uh, channel uh, now that football season's starting. And uh, because now uh, we don't have that. And, you know, I, again, don't get me started on the Red Zone channel. Barry. But so keeping uh, where I'm at here. So then the guy sits there and he's, he's talking, well, let me, let me see what I can do. And he's like, you know, uh, you hear the, uh, the clicking on the keyboard. Uh, he's, 
you know, he's doing this and that. Well, okay, I'll get the fee, uh, you know, like I'll forward this to a supervisor and see what they can do, but I'm not going to offer any promises. Uh, you know, so then this is where he utters, uh, this, this line that we both just really couldn't believe. He said, well, you know, what you could have done before you bought your house, you can go on the Xfinity website and you can check to see where the different areas are that we do not <laughs> offer services and where the serv- the areas are that we do are on. Yeah, because, of course, Barry, if you're yeah. looking for a house, you find the perfect house, you're ready to make the bid because the market has been insane for the last six months. You know, okay, we're ready to make the offer. Well, no, no, wait, wait a minute, honey. Let's see if Xfinity is offered in this area. Oh, wait a minute. Check the website. No, it's not. Okay, let's move on to the next house. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? And I'm, I wish I was bullshitting. I wish I was Kay Fabin. Absolutely a complete 100% shoot. The guy said, you should have checked our website to see whether or not Xfinity was offered in your area before you chose to buy that house. And I said, are you kidding me? Are you ribbing me solely? Really? You really expect people to do that? He says, well, I did. I said, well, of course you did. You work for fucking Xfinity. No kidding. You needed the service. You work for the company. Oh, Barry. That, and, and mind you, mind you, he also said, Oh yeah, yeah. Here's your, uh, here's your call order number. Uh, da, 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 da. We are going to uh, forward this and, and we'll let you know, uh, what, you know, whether or not they waived the fee or not so that you can pay off your final bill. <clears throat> By the way, Barry, uh, that was like four days ago. We still have not heard from Xfinity. We still don't know what our total bill is. It's, I gotta say in, in this world that we live in currently and, uh, you know, it's a weird thing for me because as I go out to restaurants and as I see shitty customer service, and I, I, I got to say, I went somewhere on Friday night and the service wasn't horrific, but it certainly wasn't good. But I understand that, you know, restaurants, but I guess all of retail in some form in customer service as well. My God, you can look in LinkedIn and the, the future now are remote customer service jobs, which are everywhere. But the that empathy, the logic, the training all seems to be gone. Like it, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, I, I go back a few months ago when, you know, you could walk into any restaurant or retail store or even see it on social media. Please be kind to our staff. You know, don't be we have a hard time getting staff. Don't treat them like shit. You know, but somehow that's given rain and a free pass for hourly employees to treat paying customers like shit. And, and I'm sure restaurants and retail stores would come forth and say, well, no, that's not our intention, but that's what's happened. And, you know, I, I was in, uh, I went to a restaurant and again, the service was just, I asked for, could I get some freshly ground? And I'm not making this up. Let me, let me tell you this. You're, you're going to, so I know that I'm overly critical when it comes to businesses at times. I ran businesses. So I'm already, I'm jaded there. I get it, but there are certain limits. I went to a restaurant Friday night, a restaurant I've been to four or five times, 10 times previously. Food's always good. If not the greatest food I've ever had, but we had a server. She was bright and cheery. She did a couple of things that annoyed me. One was, in every conversation, she referred to us as we. Would we like to have an appetizer now? Would Are we ready to order dinner? And I was like, you know, it's cute after the first time, but 
you know, are we going to have dessert tonight? And I was like, you know what? Put your ass down and order fucking dessert for it and you pay for it. But I, I got tired. But this is what she did. And again, I know that I can be overly critical. I don't need anyone to point it out. My ex-wife used to point it out. So I'm fine with it. I understand it. And she was correct in that as well. So we get a salad. Sorry about that, Jeff, by the way. We get a salad and a pasta dish. How dare you? And exactly, right? And uh, it was the lovely Linda who was really wanted the salad. It's her, her second favorite salad, the first being Columbia, of course, because, of course. So Was it a big salad? Well, how, what, how do you get a big salad? Well, you take uh, two salads and you combine them, and that's the way you get a big salad. Well, if you want a big salad, maybe I ought to go over to that other diner, right? <laughs> Isn't that what she said? Is that Reggie's or Reggie's, Monk's? Exactly. So, it, right. Well, Monk's, Monk's will always do the big salad. So, long story short, uh, I said, hey, can I get some freshly ground black pepper? And she said, absolutely. Let me get that for you. So, I took a couple bites of salad. The pasta was there. I took a couple bites. I'm waiting for the freshly ground black pepper. Ten minutes have gone by with no freshly ground black pepper. Now, I'm in my head, Jeff, I'm saying, you know what? This is probably an honest mistake. She's probably weeded. Maybe she's a new server. And this is where I am, giving her the benefit of the doubt. You know, look, it, it, a lot of times these decisions are made from upper management. Maybe they've given her too many tables. I don't know. Twelve minutes go by. She comes back with the pepper and goes, I'm so sorry that I didn't get here in time. She said, I I was in the back and I was eating French fries. <laughs> nice. And I, I and and she so basically started, that was a nice little fuck you <laughs> to you. Well, yeah. And then she started to say something about having a sinus infection. Uh, she just started to tell me about her life and how she had to eat. She had to eat something because of a sinus infection. And I sat there and I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Now, if I go into Cracker Barrel and the waitress, you know, wants to be homey and tell me about her sinus infection, that's different. But if I go to a supposedly, quote unquote, decent restaurant and a server saying they can't bring me the pepper, I asked because they're busy eating French fries because they had a sinus infection, had to put something in their stomach. I got to tell you, I was really perturbed by it. Yeah. French, French fries are known to be very good for sinus infections, by the way. That's what you want. You want something deep fried and oily. Exactly. Yeah. A sinus infection. So I, I, I still left a tip, but I got to tell you, I was perturbed and I was perturbed partly again because there is the sign on the door where short staff, please be, you know, please be nice to your serve, whatever the fuck they're, they're always saying at this point. And I realize everywhere is short staff and I understand it. I just don't know if if I'm not getting the level of service that I wanted. I just wanted the black pepper. It isn't like I needed a back massage. But at the same time, to be told, I'm so sorry I didn't get it. And I should say that salad and pasta, we were about 70% done at that point. So at that stage, I didn't want to hear about your sinus infection or the fact that you're eating French fries. And, and what is essentially a three-star restaurant? It's ridiculous. So uh Customer service, Jeff, sucks. And what really had me on this is you look at our level of inflation currently, worst inflation we've seen in decades. I, I've heard like 40 years since the early 1980s, meaning you're out there, you're busting your ass to get your money. Everybody on this that listens to us, with the exception of maybe a very small handful, are feeling the effects of inflation. 
You know, our $5 doesn't go as far as it used to go. Meaning if I'm going to a restaurant and I'm forking out 60 or 70 bucks, kind of should be a little appreciative of my business, considering that we're in an inflationary environment. Instead, I always feel like we're going to take your money. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. That's the feeling I get. So I, I got to tell you, it is a good thing I'm not currently managing restaurants because I wouldn't have put up with a lot of this bullshit. Well, I'll tell you a quick story uh, from my own uh, personal view. And, and you tell me whether or not you think this is something that's a, a big deal or I'm making too much out of. But when you talk about uh, people going out to restaurants and, uh, you know, getting food and stuff. So the other day I'm, I'm doing a pickup uh, at a restaurant that I won't name. <clears throat> However, they're known for uh, their golden arches. Let me just say that very. And so I was very subtle there, as you can guess. And one of the things that has been now ingrained in my head by, in fact, my friend Barry Rose is that what you get out of a restaurant, especially a chain restaurant, is almost exclusively based on what the manager is accepting and what he's not accepting. Would that be fair to say? That is that is. So of all the bullshit that I've talked about in the hours, you have taken it, condensed it to one line. <laughs> yeah, that's so, it. I, nice job. Nothing yes. else I've, uh, I've learned, but that I have. Yes. So I'm in this restaurant. I'm waiting for my uh, my order to be uh, you know given to me so I can go make the delivery. And so uh, there are some ladies there that are working extremely hard. And, you know, they're really you can see they're busting their asses and stuff like that. And, you know, another thing, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of fast food restaurants now, they, they don't even have people there to take your order. You have to do it via, you know, like a, there's a kind of like a little, uh, I don't know if it's a computer or whatever, but you place your order there at the at the little like the laptop or the modem or whatever. Uh, that's like a really outdated way of calling it. But it's not like, yeah, hi, I'd like a cheeseburger. No, you got to go over to the little uh, stand and you type in that I want a cheeseburger. My name is Bill. And, and you know, five minutes later, Bill, cheeseburger, there it is. So while the ladies are behind, you know, running around trying to get all the orders filled and stuff like that, and there's like five people there, and I look up and I see the order that I'm waiting for has two orders in front of it. And so it's not a big deal. Uh, so I'm waiting because obviously they're busy. So there is a guy there who is not one of the people that is filling the orders. He appears to be perhaps a member of the uh, the maybe he's like a janitorial staff or something like that because he's not a guy. First of all, he's not wearing the uniform or anything like that, and he's doing something. He's got a la- he's got like a small ladder where it looked like he was replacing a light or doing something like that. So one of the ladies says something to him about, "Well, can you can you uh, do this for me uh, and fix this for me whenever you get a chance? And he's kind of making a joke. Now, meanwhile, there's five people standing there waiting for their order to be filled. This guy is standing behind the counter and he's having a conversation with the ladies. Okay. And so, and what he's saying is he's saying it in jest. He wasn't saying it to be argumentative or anything like that. Let me make that clear. But what he says is, now, okay, I'm going to do that, but uh, don't go pissing me off now, you know, because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to find out y'all are bullshitting me. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, I, I get it. It's a fast food place, and I, I get that a lot of what is said in normal conversation, certainly on this fine podcast, is stuff that maybe wasn't acceptable, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years ago. But I sat there and thought to myself, really. really? You're the manager of this particular restaurant, and you've got somebody that is one of your staff that is there in front of customers, very openly, jokingly, you know, cursing. And trust me, I curse 
way more than I should. I'm probably the last person that should be, you know, given somebody, excuse the, the joke here, given some bullshit about the fact they're cursing. But at the same point, Barry, as a manager of a restaurant, is that something that is now okay? No, it's definitely not okay. And there, you know, when I started in restaurants, which goes back to the old 1800s, there were really you, you uh, they covered wagons. That's where you, was, you took the covered wagons and you opened your first restaurant, right? It, it was, that's exactly what it was. And, and we had, there were so many rules. I remember one specific that would not fly today. One was the dining room. And I, I was a server at this point, Jeff. The, Check. Thank you. The, uh, English was the only language allowed to be spoken in the dining room, which was essentially saying that, you know, there, I think half the employees were probably of Hispanic origin, that there was no Spanish to be spoken in the dining room. And that was interesting because the general manager was Hispanic at the time, but he, they would lay all these ground rules and, you know, restaurants were so interesting back in the day. It was kind of like the last bastion of the wild west between you know, open drug use and sexual harassment, vulgar language. This all occurred. But the key with that was this was all occurring behind the scenes. Like we weren't saying, you know, look at the tits on that one in front of people or, you know, or or go fuck yourself in front of a, a table of 10. So, no, it should never be allowed. And it isn't allowed. So if a if it's a Golden Arches manager and he's allowing profanity, I would tell you corporate would frown upon that immediately. And, and, and with the franchises, it's very difficult to, uh, to terminate. But at the same time, you know, unless he's the owner, I'd have to think even the owners don't want people standing around using profanity because let's be honest, golden arches, there's going to be a lot of little kids in that building as well, right? Sure. Yeah. And you know, honestly, if you're back in the kitchen or, or something like you're throwing out trash, uh, you can let the uh, let the expletives yeah. to quote Kramer. You can let the expletives fly. Uh, you know, uh, but when you're standing in front of five customers that are waiting for their orders, and you're cursing, like really, I, I don't know. And I just when you started talking about that, and we kind of got sidetracked from my story about Xfinity here. Uh, but it, it's just like the customer service obviously very lacking there. And with my friends at Xfinity who still think, and by the way, as I said, we still haven't gotten the email with our total, so apparently we're going to have to call them again, and yep. wow, I can't wait to cut a promo on Xfinity Bear. How long do you, so how long are you on hold for? Ah, well, that's, you know, that's another story. It's, it's not as long as my friends from Nationwide, but, you know, uh, it's still, you know, it, it takes up part of our evening when we certainly could be doing something else uh, other than, you know, talking to some guy that, by the way, is working from a computer or a monitor at his house, because he's not, it's not like there's a big Xfinity call center, uh, you know, cause he told us, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm calling for my house and, you know, where he has Xfinity because he checked to make sure that they offer it before <laughs> he purchased exactly. the house. But yeah. I got it in his defense. I got to tell you, as I'm looking at properties in Florida, I am making sure that there's a Culver's within 10 minutes. So well, that's not, that's completely acceptable. All right. That. Just making sure. uh, now let's go to our match of the week, Barry. So what we're going to offer here is uh, from July 1st, 1984. And as you mentioned, this may have been, I'm trying to think, maybe Sweet Lou could check on us. When was the dreaded incident with John Stossel at the Garden with uh, David Schultz? Maybe Lou could look into that because we're going to July 1st, 1984, as it is Dynamite and Davy Boy, along with their partner, 
David Schultz taking on Antonio Inoki, Tatsumi Fujinami, and the Cobra, who was George Takano, uh, in a six-man tag. Now, Barry, this match was number 20 on my top 100 of the 80s. Barry Rose, you've had a chance to watch this. <clears throat> Seems like it was kind of recently, too, Barry, but that's another story for another time. What did you think of this match? Oh, by the way, thanks, Lou. Uh, apparently, the Stossel incident was about five months after this. So, Barry, what did you think of this match? So this is is it's a good match. There's I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Is it a top 100? I don't know. And I you had it at number 20. I don't know if at this stage if it deserves to be in the top 20 of all matches for the 1980s. But this is not a bad match. I think what hurts this match more than anything else is uh the fact that it's so short. You know, you've got you have essentially six guys that could work. I would, I would, assuming at this point, Inoki's probably the weakest link in the ring, though he looks really good here. Like he's doing, he's got a couple of back, back body drops and suplexes that are really solid. And I think he looks really good. But, you know, Dynamite and Davy Boy at this stage, I think that they were almost elite workers. George Takano, I always thought was great. Fujinami was great, absolutely. And David Schultz was a guy, too, that's probably a little bit unheralded because his career was really cut short. I'm assuming he had another 10 years or 15 years in him. And uh, because of that Stossel incident, that was essentially it for him. But I do like this match. I like it a lot. You had mentioned something. Actually, let me let me talk about other stuff, and then I'll talk about what you mentioned. But Dynamite Kid just looks great here. Davy Boy is... Uh, he looks good. Dynamite looks good. And and I know I was asking you before we were recording, was this before? I, di- I didn't know the year. Was this before or after his back injury? Because he, he took some hellacious bumps on his back and uh, by Anoki. And he just looked great here. Takano, I always thought was great. Takano was one of those guys that I, you know, I, I don't know why he wasn't a bigger star obviously had some success in Calgary still had success in in uh, Japan i think there was a weight issue at one point where he gained a lot of weight but he was solid but you had said something to me about anoki's got a look on his face like uh like he just wants david schultz to get the hell away from him because uh schultz is crazy and i got to tell you yeah spot on 100% accurate with that jeff check Check if you look at the scene at the uh, the segment of the match where they're outside the ring and Schultz picks up Inoki and rams his lower back into the ring post four or five times. I don't know, maybe three times, but does it multiple times and drops him. Inoki's got this look on his face as he's on the ground. Schultz then picks up a chair and goes for Inoki. And I can tell you, Inoki gets right in the ring to avoid that shit. And it looked like he he clocked him with the chair. This is what I'm curious, and maybe uh maybe Luke can do this. Did David Schultz ever go back to New Japan after this match? And and I it would just say to me, uh, if he didn't, then Anoki certainly uh had some some thoughts about that, which is probably the nice way. If he did go back, and for some reason I'm thinking he did go back to Japan after this, then you know, maybe that was all for nothing. But I, I would say this is a really good match. If this match had gone 10 to 15 minutes longer, I think you, I think there I think the potential to be a top 20 or a top 50 is there. I don't know if it falls into that realm. And again, I I want to say the entire segment's a little over 12 minutes. The match itself is probably 
eight to nine minutes. There's no way with this amount of talent in the ring that a six man should be eight or nine minutes, though, Jeff. Yeah. So when we started uh, getting ready to record, I uh, was talking about this with Lou and Barry. And I said, you know, this match I had is number 20 for the entire decade. And it absolutely does not belong in my top 20. You know, I sit there and think about uh, some of the matches that we looked at from the 80s. You know, the the Briscoes versus Murdoch and Adonis. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that's not in my top 100 even, or, or then there's the Bachwinkle versus, uh, Hennig match that is in my 100, but probably deserves to be higher. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this match, I'm not even sure it's a top 100 match, to be honest with you. Um, and I think part of it was, uh, this was on one of the first tapes that I got from Meltzer. And I remember the opening, like, minute or two minutes of the match, just literally, I was like, Holy fuck, I've never seen anything like this. These guys are just absolutely cutting loose. Hold on, Bear. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. And it was such an incredible opening sequence where they're doing things that I had never seen in Florida or anywhere else. Uh, you know, I did not see the Tiger Mask uh, versus Dynamite Kid match from Madison Square Garden until after this. But I'm watching this and I'm going, I, I-, I feel like... It- I've been put on a new planet, some new planet where they're showing a different style of wrestling. Like, and it's just like, you know, all of a sudden uh, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. And then with the benefit of hindsight and now looking at it a couple of days ago, I'm seeing exactly what you said it is a match that really is not even 10 minutes long. Inoki, as you said, looks completely petrified of David Schultz uh, and not like, Oh, this guy, you know, uh, I think this guy's going to kick my ass. Maybe he felt that way, but it was more like this guy is such a wild hair. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to do something reckless. Uh, and do I really want to be in the ring with this guy? You know, uh, whereas, you know, on the other side of the equation, when guys worked with Baba in all Japan, they made it very clear that they were going to do whatever it could they could to make Baba look like absolutely a world beater. And, you know, they were never doing anything, you know, scary or, or reckless with Baba because he was the boss and Anoki's the boss here, but David Schultz, uh, and maybe deliberately was trying to appear kind of reckless and dangerous and stuff like that. And I think some of that may have seeped into Anoki's mindset because Anoki and speaking of Anoki, what the fuck did he really do in this match? You know, like you said, uh, dynamite, Davy boy, great stuff. Fujinami, Cobra, great stuff. Uh, Schultz out of control. Inoki, he's pretty much standing on the ring apron clapping, you know, and then when there's a, a big spoiler alert, uh, in Lou pointing out that David Schultz uh, appeared in, uh, New Japan in March of 1985. So there goes your theory, Barry Rose. But, um, Anyway, it, it was like he really didn't do anything until after the, you know, the double countout had been called. Then he gets back in the ring and he starts firing the crowd up. I'm like, where the fuck has this guy been for the last 10 minutes? Because you weren't doing this while the match was going on. Come on, man. You're the biggest star in the promotion. And, you know, you're kind of like uh, sort of loafing around, it sort of seemed like. Now, let's talk about some of the other guys in the match. Uh, you know, as you said, Fujinami was just an elite worker for the better part of five to seven years uh, suffers a back injury in 1988 when he had finally been given that 
um, the the main event lead guy in the promotion, Anoki, sort of bequeathed it to him uh, in a match that we've uh, previously talked about from August 8th of 1988. And then soon after that, he suffers a back injury. He came back, but was really never the same guy that he'd been before that. But Fujinami was just a tremendous, tremendous talent. George Takano, the Cobra, uh, you mentioned that he never really made it. Well, you know, what, what his problem was, was that he was the guy that was given the mask that followed Sayama. And, you know, it, it's sort of like the old, you know, story about, you know, when you're a, when you're a coach, uh, whether it's in, you know, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, you don't want to be the guy that succeeds the legend, the Hall of Fame guy. You want to be the guy that succeeds the guy that succeeds that guy. So here Takano, who was a really good wrestler, did some great acrobatic stuff and in a lot of ways. A lot of people think that he had better matches with Dynamite and Davy Boy uh, than Sayama did, which is really high praise indeed. I mean, he was an amazing performer around this time period, uh, you know. But he was, he had a you know that that anchor on his back of being the guy that succeeded Sayama, who was this you know guy that was sort of an iconic figure uh, with the New Japan fans, and I think that really was kind of something that kind of curtailed him. Eventually, he takes the mask off and just wrestles as George Takano. To, I want to say very middling success. He was never really a big deal, just as George Takano. Uh, I think George Takano eventually, uh, left New Japan to join, um, Janichiro uh, Tenru's, uh, promotion of SWS, uh, or, uh, or, or the group that he left all Japan to join. And that was sort of the last anyone really ever saw of George Takano. Uh, Dynamite and Davy Boy, of course, legendary figures. David Schultz. Uh, a guy that really, it was funny because when I, when I looked this up on YouTube, there's another match that's out there where he teams with Dynamite in, uh, Calgary and they're managed by, uh, John Foley. Uh, no, not my former roommate, John Foley. It's, uh, J.R. Foley. And, uh, up in Calgary, I want to see he took on Brett and Duke Myers. Uh, and it was an interesting match to see on, uh, on YouTube, it was about a, a 12 to 15 minute match uh, to see Dynamite and Brett when they were very young, still working together in Calgary. It was a, it was a good entertaining match. But so obviously, uh, you know, Dynamite and David Schultz had a connection through Calgary. And then of course, when they both went to the, the WWF. So I think this is a really interesting match to look at, to watch. It's short, you know, it's got, uh, good stuff happening in the ring uh, when Anoki's not in there. Uh, you know, the schmas at the end of the match. Uh, the out of control David Schultz. Fun to look at. Is it top 20? Definitely not. Is it top 100? I don't know. Am I shitting on it completely and saying this match is a waste of your time? No, because I got to tell you, the opening like two minutes of the match, you, you're just like strap yourself in because this is going to be a fun fucking ride. And as Barry said, if this had gone like maybe 10 minutes more when the guys had a chance to get their spots in and, and do all the different stuff, it, it definitely would have been considered for top 20. But as it stands, Barry, I don't think it belongs there. Yeah, but you know what? Top 100, I I, because I do think the match, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, it's just, it's a good match, hampered by shortness. The only thing with Anoki, I would say, he's got, he's got two little runs in this match and he's not doing anything too spectacular, but a couple of the back body drops, especially the ones on dynamite, looked very solid. I give him credit. But it is great to see him outside the ring with Schultz because, again, the look on his face is a uh, a look of just, uh, you know, of, of almost like terror. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> going to hit me with the chair. 
and I'm really going to feel it. So, yeah. But as you pointed out, uh, or as Sweet Lou did the research for us, he was back with less than a year. So I, I guess nothing terrible happened. Yeah. So uh, we will post a link to this match in our uh, Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with and Barry, so you folks can check it out. So now, Barry, hey, what do you say? Why don't we go to our interview with the Warlord? Thanks to our friend Nick Massey for helping us with this interview. And let's talk a little old school wrestling with the Warlord, Bear. Barry, always nice to have our friend Nick Massey, the captain, hook us up with a guest. And this week we've got... Terry Sopinski. Oh, but Barry, everyone knows him as the Warlord. First of all, Terry, thank you so much for joining us, my man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So we always like to start at the beginning of any good story, and I believe the beginning of your good story, as far as pro wrestling is concerned, begins in Minnesota. So I want to ask you, based on some stuff I've read, who came first in your introduction to pro wrestling? Was it Joe Laurinaitis or Ed Sharkey? It was actually Joe Laurinaitis. Okay, so you meet Joe, and Joe introduced you to Eddie. Is that pretty much the way it worked? Yep, he got me hooked up with Eddie Sharkey. Okay, and so uh, how long did you train with Ed, you know, that kind of stuff? I really didn't train that long. Uh, maybe maybe a year, that was about it. Not very long. Yeah, and like uh, w- your first match, do you remember where that was? Uh, it was actually in... <laughs> It was in uh, Prince's uh, First Avenue in downtown Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Jeff, you're familiar with uh, Prince's First Avenue? That's where the majority of Purple Rain took place. Yeah, they, almost, almost the movie took there. Yes, it yeah, is. exactly. And it's a, it's, I mean, it's a legendary venue. I mean, everybody knows Madison Square Garden and certain theaters, but if you're in Minneapolis, anywhere in the Midwest, uh, First Avenue is the place. So you, you wound up in, in going to Minneapolis, born and raised in South, Southern Florida, South Florida? No, I was actually, I was, uh, born in Wisconsin and I was raised in Minneapolis. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you, at some point you said, I got to get out of this cold fucking weather and I got to get down south, uh, to where it's warm, right? <laughs> yeah. A little bit of change in life. Yeah. Gotcha too. And we are extremely fortunate. We're joined by the warlord. And as Jeff just mentioned, coming to us today, courtesy of our old friend, Nick Massey, the captain. Starting on September the 22nd, you'll be working with Nick two different events. One is uh, Slam 2, a pro wrestling show with trivia featuring the Warlord appearing live. See live pro wrestling seven matches plus meet and greet opportunities. And there is going to be a wrestling trivia game live Jeff, I don't think we've ever heard of this happening live, which is it's kind of cool. This also, this is September 22nd, which is a Thursday at Tribus Beer Company in Milford, Connecticut. Doors open at 5, bell time at 7.30. The best part, Jeff, you'll like this part, being the cheap I'll be the judge of that. Well, I'll you're the, the cheap mother effer of this group. Well, how dare you, sir? Yes, you can pay what you want. That's what admission is. So it's kind of like what the museums do where you, okay, I want to pay five bucks and that's it. I think that's uh, absolutely fantastic. This is also for any of our younger listeners and hopefully 
if you're listening and you're under the age of 21, you will have to be 21 to enter this event. However, if you can't make this and you do want to meet the warlord, it would be virtual. Want to get an autograph, a photo, whatever it might be. Nick will be hosting one of his world-famous Captain's Corners a little later that night. Again, that's Thursday, September the 22nd. The virtual starts at 8 p.m. I think it's pretty cool. Nick and, and Jeff, you and I were talking about this last week. And Warlord, just to give you some background on it, when COVID hit, Nick kind of cornered the market with these virtual signings. And it's kind of become the way to do business at this point. It's kind of SOP. So absolutely amazing the success he's gotten out of this. But I know I'm looking forward to it. We will definitely be joining. So another question I have, spending time in Minneapolis, and, and working with Eddie Sharkey, Joe Laurinaitis as well. Did, were you, did you become part of that Minneapolis crew, the Kurt Hennig, Rick Rude, Michael Hegstrand? You know, were you part of that crew as well, Terry? Yeah, I was kind of like the, uh, the last generation of that crew. I was about five years behind all those guys. I came out, uh, if you remember Tejo Khan from NWA? Sure. Uh, he was there. Remember Brady Boone? He was with me. So there's a few of us that came out of there in that time. But yeah, we're, we're pretty much the last group that came out of uh, Eddie Sharkey. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, we haven't had a lot of change. Yeah, we, we've done uh, five years worth of episodes, Terry. Uh, never, missed a, yeah, never missed an episode. A lot of guests. Uh, but what we haven't had is a lot of guys that had a chance to work the old Kansas City territory. So tell me. Just because we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, history with people that work in that area. Tell me about your experiences working in Kansas City and were you around with Bob Geigel and Bulldog Bob Brown? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I got well, why why did I think that was going to be sort of the response? <laughs> yeah, Kansas, Kansas City was very special. You're talking long trips, fight for your money, do what you can and that stuff, chase them down, go to the office. Have a guy upstairs knock at a door and go wait downstairs at the bottom door because they'll run out the bottom door with the money. You got to snatch your money. <laughs> it was a special place. Listen, I like Bob Geigel. I like Bob Doug, you know, Bulldog Bob Brown. They were, they were different in that stuff, you know, but it was a good place that at that time I was so green in the NDBA when I went there. It was a good place for me to learn. It helped. Gotcha. Did you make any money while you were there? They, Kansas City was notorious throughout the 70s and 80s as being kind of a homesteader where a lot of the guys lived in the territory. Bob, Both the Bobs, actually, right? Both lived in the territory. But pay was supposedly really tough. Did you find that to be the case? Oh, yeah. You had to fight for that money, boy. Yes, you did. Was this one of those cases where they would give you a check and you'd run to the bank right away to make sure that the, the money was still there before uh, you cashed it out? No, I'd actually make him go to the guy dang bank with me and check. <laughs> Guys, I was going to get my money. Whatever it was, I was going to get whatever. So, uh, but I mean, uh, overall, how did you find working the territory? Because I know, you know, look, it, it was notoriously a, a territory where guys would go to learn their craft and stuff, but no one was looking to get rich, obviously, in Kansas City. But outside of the pay, what did you think about working the area? It was good, man. I mean, you, you had guys that are pretty much on their last last leg and that stuff that would come through there. But I could learn things from them, watching them, learning, watching them talk, everything else. So it, it did help me in that, which I did appreciate. Gotcha. One of the guys you spent some time with, too, was Sam Houston. And I, I believe this was when 
Crockett was either working with Kansas City, had taken over. I don't know all the specifics of that, but uh, it, it looks like you were married up with Sam Houston. But you had worked with Sam Houston, I believe, or at least knew him down in Crockett, right? What was yep. it like making that transition working with Sam? And a part of the reason I bring that up is you have always been known as uh, a giant of a human being. And I, I know when Sam first started, and I, I think I saw Sam about a year and a half ago, and kind of looks the same. Sam's not the bulkiest or most muscular of all wrestlers. What was it like working with Sam? Oh, Sam was a good wrestler, man. Everybody knew Sam, Sam could wrestle. No, no issue about that and that stuff. You know, um, like I said, you know, Sam helped me. Um, you know, he, taught, he helped me to learn the craft and that stuff. As a big man, I made a couple mistakes at the, at the beginning. And I let him slam me, which time was a no-no. And uh, that never happened again after that. I made sure of that. But, uh, it was, uh, like I said, it was a good learning experience, and Sam was a nice person to work for. He had he had good experience in that stuff, and uh, it was nice. So you eventually make your way down to Crockett, and you're uh, you're teaming up with uh, the Barbarian, and of course you're you're managed by uh, Barry's old number one, Paul Jones. Any memories of Paul Jones? Yeah, I, I like Paul. Paul was a good person, man. He was a uh, he was a straightforward person. I mean, he was he also helped me in. Uh, becoming warlord and that stuff. He would help me, uh, you know, just to learn how to, how to make those, the facial expressions and all that stuff there. Cause at that time we really didn't talk. So I learned how to do good facial expressions with Barb because Barb is very good at it. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, as far as your time with Barbarian and Paul Jones and stuff like that, there, there came a time, uh, when you were asked to uh, participate in scaffold matches, which, uh, <laughs> I can tell you, Barry, I would not have wanted to participate in one of those. No. So what, what was your response when they initially approached you about that? No. Hey, <laughs> no. We're, here you got 320-pound men flying 30 feet down the air. One of us or both of us is going to either break a leg. Something's going to happen sooner or later. It, it's going to happen. No question about that. Yeah, when that angle first happened, and if I recall correctly, because I, I guess at this point it's been 35 years ago, but it was a weightlifting contest or a bench press contest, and you and the Barbarian had attacked the Road Warriors. Does that sound right? Yep, that was it. Yeah, and they, if I remember correctly, they showed that angle on television every week, usually more than once for the next several weeks. Like that angle got a lot of heat. But then you guys, at you know, shortly thereafter, wound up going up to New York. Would that be correct? Yeah, and I could tell you a big story behind that. Oh, the floor is <laughs> yours, sir. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, like I say, you know, we did. I, I actually hurt Animal before that. I did a move which I've done many, many times. I guess I put him on my shoulders. And I did this one move, and I guess just our size, so much energy coming down that my shoulder blade caught him in his eye. And it broke his orbital. And so from there, we decided, let's do this bench press contest and use that when we do the, when we, you know, when, when Barb kicks him and his face goes into those plates that he hurt his orbital there and he had to get surgery, which would bring a lot of heat. So after that, that's when it went over to, we're going to do the scaffold matches once, once animals started coming back. And Barb, out of the blue calls me one night on a Thursday night and says, Hey, Terry, you know, uh, uh, Grizzly, uh, was it Grizzly Smith? Grizzly Smith called me from WWF and they want us to come up to Atlanta tomorrow. I'm going, okay. 
I know nothing about this, but okay. Yeah, because we had that Friday off. We we're going to be in Baltimore that Saturday. So go ahead. We fly in the next day into Atlanta. We get into Atlanta. They got there's a limo waiting for us. A limo takes us to a hotel. Give us room key. Go up to room key. Open it up. Who's sitting there? You got Pat Patterson, Hulk Hogan, District Man. The three of them. We sit down. They go through their spiel for a little bit. And they go, well, what do you guys think? And I'm like just kind of looking around. And Barb goes, when do you want us to start? The way Barb would talk, you know. I'm like, Barb. <laughs> I've never ever seen him even talk, man. He answered so quick. I'm like, dang. So they said, we want you to start Monday. Well, this is a Friday. And we got all these scaffold matches, all these wow. things coming up. I'm going, all right, Barb, that's what you want. That's what we'll do. So they fly us back to Charlotte. Next day, we fly to Baltimore in the private plane of uh, Crockett. Get up to Baltimore, do the show. We retain our titles. We get, we, we get disqualified, but we keep our six-man titles with Ivan. And we get to the back, and uh, Barb goes up to Dusty, and he says, Dusty, we go to New York Monday. And Dusty's jaw just hit the ground. I mean, just boom. Animal goes up. He shakes our hands. He says, good, because we aren't taking that fall off that goddamn scaffold. You guys are. Good choice. <laughs> You know, he was, he was happy for us, you know, cause he didn't want to see that happen, you know? And the funny thing is it, it's only in wrestling that can happen that you have a soap opera that week, that Saturday, when we wrestled in Baltimore, the people hated us so bad because of what we did to animal and all that stuff before that, you know, they wanted to kill us. We went to WWF that Monday, that next Saturday, we were back in Baltimore. Now, no one knew that we were there. Now we're good guys. We're baby faces now. And I'm like, Barb, I said, they're, they're going to hate us. You know, I mean, we were just here last Friday. And they wanted to kill us. And we go ahead. Now, no one knows we're even there. Demolition goes out with Fuji. They hit our music. We come out. We hit that ring. We cleared. Boom, boom, boom. And the people loved us. I mean, literally, they wanted to marry us tonight. I mean, just in a week, the difference like that, it was amazing. Just totally amazing. You know, I mean, just, it was awesome. It really was. So when you were up in the Federation, you, uh, you eventually get, uh, managed by, uh, by Mr. Fuji. And wow, if you want to talk about guys who have millions of stories that have been written and told about them, Fuji has to be right up there. So can you can you throw us the proverbial Fuji bone and tell us some story about a rib he played on you or just some crazy friggin' story about Fuji? Fuji really he didn't rip us. He loved us, man. Fuji helped us a lot. He, actually, after every match, we would actually sit for a little bit and go through the match and see what things we could actually make a little bit better, which was really nice. I really I enjoy because I. I could pick his mind and learn in that stuff, you know, which was really a good thing. Um, I, I really didn't see Fuji do that many, that many ribs as far as when I was there. Um, you know, he did them pretty much before the time I was there. Um, that's when he was really heavy into ribbing back then. And that's something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the biggest one he did to us one time, he did do one, but it, it, I, I really don't call it that big a rib, but we're going to this town now. This town was maybe 15 minutes away. Well, Fuji put us on this tour 
that took like two hours how to get to this place. And after two hours, we finally got there. And I'm going, God, that took a long time, man. How come it's so far away? Two hours. We get there, Tito Santana. We're talking to me. Oh, yeah, it's only 10 minutes from, from the hotel. I said, what? 10 minutes? He said, and Fuji's over there laughing. <laughs> like that and that stuff, you know. He was just laughing because he took us on a goddamn tour for fun. And we rode around for two hours for a 10-minute ride. <laughs> we had heard his story. story. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, please. There, 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 is one, there is one other one. The first oh, time please. we did come in the territory, this was the first day in Syracuse, New York. And we're new coming in. Now, we're the baby faces. Fuji comes up, shakes our hand. He goes, hi, Mr. Fuji. Okay, shake the hand. So after we didn't know where to go, where to stay, you always ask the boys. We ask, who did we ask? Why a mistake? Fuji. He said, oh, you go to this hotel, very good hotel. Very nice, air conditioning, very, very good. You know, he tells the hotels, okay, cold hotel. I guess like 95 degrees out that day. You know, it's middle of summer in New York, how bad it is. Go to this hotel. I'm looking, I'm looking at Barb. said, Barb, is that the hotel? Barb's looking at me. I, we go, there's like no cars. I said, okay, well, let's check in. We check in. We get the room. Okay, we go to the room. We open up the room. There's like no air. I mean, just hot as can be. The bed sagged to the ground. And I'm like, Barb, this can't be a hotel. There's like nothing here. No, well, that's where Fuji told us to go. Okay. So we go ahead. We try to sleep in there. I'm telling you straight up. I think Barb fanned me for the first hour on the bed. Then I fanned him for the next hour, you know, with a, with a towel on the bed, just so we could try to close our eyes a little bit because we had to open up the goddamn windows. All the bugs are chewing us apart. I mean, it was horrible. And the next day, we got a three-hour drive to our first day of TV. We had to drive that drive. Our, we were dead tired. Our eyes closing. We got the TV. We were so tired. Who do we say right away? Fuji. Fuji goes, hey, hey, hey. How was your hotel, guys? Very good, huh? Very good. I mean, yeah, it was great. Thank you, Fuji. Love it. They gave me the old no cell on the uh, on the rib, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, he uh, he took care of the the new jabronis coming in town. Yes, he did. <laughs> That was beautiful. We heard a story, a Fuji story at our last, we do Fan Fest in the Tampa area and our headliners, we always do Q and A's. Our headliners were demolition and they were telling us a Fuji story, I guess of, uh, cooking and serving Adnan Casey's dog. Uh, and we, <laughs> I gotta tell you, the, as he's telling this story, and I think it was Bill Eady, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. Bill Eady was telling the story. It was either Bill Eady or Darso, right? And when that story happened, you never saw a room go so silent. Just mouths oh, yeah. open, sitting there, just, yeah, completely shocked uh, and unbelievable. But so you you live in South Florida, which I got to admit I'm pretty envious right now. I'm right outside of Philly, and I've been trying to get back to Florida for the last several years. Hopefully I can do it before this year is up. But how many years have you been in South Florida now? Uh, I've been down there since 1993 now. Oh, I was gotcha. actually so, in Tampa for four. I was in Tampa for four years, and now I'm actually down in uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale area. I've been here since uh, 1997. Gotcha. Wow. And uh, yeah, certainly Tampa is an area that we know well. We uh, we spend a lot of time in uh, Tampa and Lutz and the surrounding beaches and stuff. So one of the things we always do on our podcast is, besides talking about professional wrestling, we do talk about everything, whether it's, Jeff, I'll let you take this. What do we talk about? Uh, 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 we got uh, movies, television, uh, pop culture, food, uh, life. 
life. So we always, <laughs> we always, uh, we always discuss certain things. So, so quick question for you, Warlord. You are, you got, uh, you got somebody taking you out to dinner. It's, it's me and Jeff. Jeff and I are coming back into town. That's nice of him to do that. I was gonna, well, we're going to have to pay for it, actually. He's taking us, but we're the ones paying. So we're coming into town, having not been in uh, Fort Lauderdale in many years. What's the one restaurant that you're going to take us to? Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to take you to a Japanese steakhouse up in Boca Raton called, uh, Su- I, think, I believe it's Sukai. I believe it's Sukai it's called. I take my parents there a lot. Okay. Um, great, I'll great take, Japanese I'll take steakhouse. That. Absolutely, I'll take it too. And I'll get Jeff. Part of the beauty Japanese steakhouse, you can get the steak. They usually have hibachi. You can get sushi, so we can really mix it up. Uh, if you're just joining us, and, and the question is, where the hell have you been? If you're just tuning in right now, our special guest today, courtesy of Captain's Corner, Nick Massey, is the Warlord. Everybody knows the Warlord. This was a big name. Uh, a few years back, and he's going to be doing a couple of appearances with Nick. First one coming up on September the 22nd, taking place at Tribus Beer Company in Milford, Connecticut. It is seven live pro wrestling matches, meet and greet opportunities. The Warlord is there, and they're going to be doing something which is kind of cool. They're going to have a pro wrestling show along with trivia. Not something we see every day. If you want to meet the Warlord, you're anywhere within driving distance of Milford, Connecticut. As you can see, he's a friendly, funny guy. Uh, he might be six seven. Is it six 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 seven? Warlord? No, I'm actually I'm actually about six five. Realistic six five. Gotcha. It was somehow on television, maybe I was younger. You just appeared to be uh, maybe the biggest guy I'd ever seen in my life. If you can't well, make I'm getting, it, to I'm getting older. I'm getting older now. Maybe I maybe I shrunk a little bit. <laughs> if an osteoporosis occurring in the uh, yeah, in spine, yeah. yeah. We're breaking kayfabe on osteoporosis, Barry. Exactly. <laughs> breaking news here. You've never heard this yeah. anywhere else on a podcast. However, if you can't make it to Milford, Connecticut. And I got to say, this sounds like a kind of a, a really fun deal between trivia, meet and greets, and live wrestling at a brewery. I mean, it's like Christmas came early, but you can't make it to Milford. Nick will be doing one of his really famous Captain's Corner happy hours starting at 5 o'clock. And, I'm sorry, starting at 8 o'clock. And knowing Nick, these things can go uh, for 90 minutes or can go for three hours. It all depends on how many people show up. But as always, we encourage our listeners, support the people that supply guests to us, that advertise on our podcast. By supporting them, you're supporting us, and you're ensuring that this podcast will go on forever, which I know it's exactly what everybody wants. Right, Jeff? It's, it's everyone's dream come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, hey, I wanted to ask you, uh, Terry, uh, I was looking up uh, your career and stuff, and I, I couldn't help but notice that in February of uh, 1991, good Lord, Barry, that's like over 30 years ago. I feel so yeah. old. You had a chance to get that uh, that match with Hogan. And I, I just got to ask you, because, you know, the specter, if you will, uh, of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. I mean, at that point, it was seven years in. But what was it like having that main event run with, with Hogan? Lots of goosebumps. <laughs> Lots of goosebumps. I guys. bet, yeah. Uh, you come to that ring with Hogan. You get out there. He comes out there. All he sees is his head sticking above the whole crowd. He comes out in that yellow, jumps up there, goes along that apron, gets in there, walks around that ring, and starts ripping that shirt up, and all those guys doing, uh 
you know, all the goddamn cameras going off and just goosebumps and everything goes black. It's like, you don't know, like, wow, you just got to close your eyes for a second. Like, this is a dream that's becoming real now. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. I mean, he, he was so over at that time. It just, it was just, it was fun being in the ring with him. It really was. And then he points that finger at you and the crowd oh, goes crazy yeah. again. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you got this, then you got the second set of goosebumps come in. Yes, you do. Gotcha. So one of the things also that we do on this podcast, we always like to know what are the stars of, uh, that we saw a few years back? What are you guys doing now? And, uh, in our brief conversation with you prior to going on air, you are, I guess, overseeing security for a lot of, uh, adult entertainment places. Would yep, that be correct? I'm doing, yep. I'm doing some at, uh, like three of them right now, which, uh, which is good. It's, uh, it's a nice living. Um, it's busy all the time. Um, you know, of course I work with a lot of girls there. I mean, some, some on the weekends I'll have 70 plus girls a night at each one and that stuff, you know? So, and, uh, mostly down here, a lot of Cubans, a lot of Cubans, but beautiful girls, um, hard workers, um, don't do drugs, hardly drink, um, uh, don't fight. Um, very, very nice and very, very beautiful. Okay, gotcha. So. Jeff, please. No, I was going to say, we know a, a few of the uh, guys from our group that uh, like to visit the uh, adult entertainment uh, facilities in the South Florida area, Barry. I'm not going to drop any names, but I think you know who I'm talking about. I do, and we actually, uh, it's funny, we have a Tampa version of the Warlord, which is our old buddy Phil that comes to the Fan Fest. That's right, yeah. Oversees uh, all security at uh, 2001, if I'm correct. Yeah, so, uh, correct, yeah. Yeah, so what's the, and I realize this could probably take six hours. What is the craziest story you can tell us from a strip club that you could share from a legal standpoint on air with us? Oh God. I listen, if you could, <laughs> a, a strip club would be one of the funniest places in the world to actually do. Um, the shows like Kim Kardashian and all of them do. Yes. I, people would be in tears. No one would even get up to go to the bathroom or, or to get a snacker, they'd be in tears just laughing. Help when people come to the door, the kind of people you got come to the door, the way they act, the way they talk. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Some of the things you just hear, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, it really. Is. And of course, in this world now, unfortunately, you know, you got the jig, but you got so much drugs now. You know, I mean, people are just on a lot of different things now and that stuff. You know, and or it, it's it's just crazy and that stuff. It really is. And of course, you got your guys that are just. They're lunatics already. I mean, and you just got to take, take care of them real quick and finish it up and put them outside. You know, that's what you got to do real quick. Now, I just want to play a game of confirm or deny with you here, Terry. Uh, based on something that uh, the great Chris Rock once said, is there, in fact, no champagne in the champagne room? That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a controversial <laughs> question, I know. <laughs> Uh, let's just put, put up your discrepancy. <laughs> so speaking, yeah. speaking of yeah. crazy stories and crazy people that you've dealt with, uh, in the adult entertainment industry, I'm going to guess, uh, uh, based on what I've heard that one of the guys that's probably right up there in that category, I know you had a chance to work for a while, at least with Herb Abrams in the UWF. Oh God! Herb. Any fond <laughs> memories of Herb? 
Uh, Herb was just a special person, man. He, 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 he I mean, I got along with Herb and that stuff. He was just, he was, Herb, we live on Earth, Herb lived on Mars. I mean, that, that was Herb and that stuff, you know. Always had those, like they said when they did that special on Vice, he'd always walk around in cowboy boots. Um, you know, he's always coked up or something, uh, whatever, and that stuff. And, you know, he loved his women and that stuff, you know. I mean, Herb was just a different individual. I mean, he, he didn't do anything harmful to anybody that I ever saw or ever knew. He was just very different. Yeah, he's uh, definitely an interesting guy, and uh, I haven't I haven't read the book or seen the. Uh, I guess there's a documentary about him, but I haven't been paying attention to any of it. We are going to start to wind down. We have been really fortunate today to have the Warlord with this Warlord during an era as well when tag teams truly meant something. You know, you had Demolition, the Road Warriors, the Powers of Pain. There were some big, tough tag teams. And uh, that to me, it seems like tag team wrestling. And I, Jeff and I have been fans, geez, we're over 50 years at this point, uh, which is amazing because we're, we're both in our 40s. But we've, we've been fans for so many years. And we know that wrestling goes through cycles and there's ebbs and flows. And tag teams were such a big deal back in the day. But going to do a, one last plug here. If you'd like to be able to meet the Warlord, he does come to us today. Compliments of our old friend Nick Massey, the captain, Captain's Corner. He will be appearing the 22nd of Thursday. Doors open at 5, bell times at 7.30. This will be at Tribus Beer Company in Milford, Connecticut. Seven live wrestling matches, a meet and greet with the Warlord. Plus, you're going to be doing trivia. That sounds like a lot of fun. If you can't make it, you're not near Milford, you can't make the drive, there's no excuses, by the way. However, you will be able to catch Captain's Corner Happy Hour with the Warlord, also coming up later that day, because I think Nick's not too far from Milford. September 22nd, starting at 8 o'clock, you'll be able to get signed items. These virtual signings are always fantastic. One last question. I know Nick is big about this, and people love to buy this stuff. Would you have any ring-used gear with you? I will not. I have none anymore. The stuff that I do have, I'm keeping for all my kids and grandkids now. There you go. Okay, uh, so before we let you go, I do have two very quick last things. Our, Our producer, Lou Kippelman, just wanted to ask very quickly, what was the deal with uh, Vince hooking you and Barbarian up with Baron Von Raschke? Do you recall that? Yeah, I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I really don't know. I just think they wanted to give us a manager because uh, Demolition had uh, Fuji. And I just they wanted to give us something that was kind of unique and different like Fuji was. Yeah, he, he didn't last very long with you as a manager, though, correct? No, and I, I, you know, I like Baron. Baron was a nice guy. I think it was a cool outfit with that draped over his head. All you could see is like the the outline of him when he put his head up, which made it really, really cool. Yeah. So last question. Here's, you know, Barry uh, did his food uh, thing. I have a question that I always ask our guests. And, you know, especially uh, in the career that you've chosen and the you mentioned the crazy uh, drunken people that you've had to deal with on a nightly basis. But let's just say. That you're out at a, a adult establishment, uh, maybe not uh, of the adult entertainment variety, but just a uh, a watering hole, and uh, you look there, and uh, 
you see about 10 guys and they've recognized you and they're going to try to prove a point by showing how tough they are. Uh, not that you couldn't, uh, you know, based on your career, deal with them all by yourself. But if you had to have, say, one or two guys standing next to you, maybe besides the barbarian, who is an obvious choice, who are some of the other two guys that you might want to have standing with you to help you take care of this riffraff that's going to give you a hard time? Oh, I only, I only need, I only need one more besides Barb. Haku. Okay. That, that is an answer, Barry, that has been offered up to us before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so. all I need, guys. Barbarian <laughs> Haku. <laughs> I mean, you can have 50 guys, and they're going to have a lot of trouble. <laughs> hey, listen, oh, Terry, yeah. we, we want to say thank you so much for joining us. It was a good time talking about your career, uh, and we want to uh, say thank you to our friend Nick Massey for uh, for helping uh, line, uh, line you up with us, and it was a good time uh, talking with you about your career, my man. Cool. Thank you, guys. If you ever come down to South Florida, man, uh, come see me. And I'll tell you what, like they say, man, the adult entertainment club, they got the best chicken wings on the earth. Do, oh, do, you, do you want to provide uh, the listeners with perhaps one of the establishments, <laughs> perhaps that you might occasion? <laughs> uh, Diamond Dolls. Okay, me. there you go. So, I, Barry, I'm not going to admit whether or not I've been there before. Uh, in the past, of course, but that's all I'm going to say. Thanks again, Terry. We appreciate it, buddy. You bet, guys. Barry, always a good time to talk to the warlord. Thanks once again to our friend Nick Massey for helping us out with that interview. Now, Barry Rose, it is time for what has now become a weekly segment, Barry. Are you ready to talk a little Florida man or not? I will say slightly abbreviated version. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So our first story coming to us from Newsweek magazine, a legitimate a news source here, Barry. Uh, the headline, elderly couple caught trafficking 22 pounds of crystal meth. Or the, the older people, they love the crystal meth, apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, an elderly couple has been seized by officials while allegedly trafficking a $1 million haul of over 20 pounds. 20 pounds of crystal meth, Barry. Wow. Uh, they, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, breaking bad here or what. Uh, so uh, the couple, both age 69, are accused of importing meth from Zimbabwe. They, they went right for the good stuff. They went to Africa right, to yeah, get the crystal Zimbabwe. meth. Yeah. They, they didn't go to uh, Walter White out there in New Mexico. So uh, anyway, uh, let's see. The, the couple reported left for Zimbabwe on June 21st. Uh, media reports say that after leaving... This is great. After leaving their goldfish in Keys with the neighbors, they told them they'll be back on July. And they wanted the goldfish taken care of, Barry. That was very nice of them. I uh, let's, that. Yeah. yeah. But they were arrested with 22 pounds of the illicit narcotic reportedly worth around $1 million. Barry Rose. So this originated in Zimbabwe, but where did the arrest take place, Barry? Florida or not? There's Zimbabwe is going to. This did not. This took place somewhere in Michigan. Australia, Barry. Robert Gideon probably has heard about this story. If not, Robert, why haven't you? That's all I'm going to say. But 20 pounds of crystal meth, Barry. You're a little greedy. I got to be honest with you. So our next story. Oh, right out of the pages of TMZ, one of your really, truly reputable news sources. The headline reads, Barry, nursing home hired strippers to get a rise out of vets. Some wheelchair-bound veterans are still ready to rise and salute. You see what they did there, Bear? Was a, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Just send in the stripper, which worked like a charm in a nursing home. That's now saying, oops, we didn't know she was going to do all that. 
The young woman who showed up decked in lingerie at the facility for the retired veterans definitely brought her A-game, writhing on the floor, getting on laps, and even allowed at least one resident to break normal strip club rules as he got pretty hands-on with her. The whole scene, this is good writing here, Barry, the whole scene screams, please tell me there's a defibrillator ready. Harry Rose, <laughs> Florida man or not. That's a defibrillator. That's the state of Florida, sure. <laughs> it's Taiwan, Barry. Wow. So oh, those vets in Taiwan, they know how to have a good time. That's for sure. So, uh, uh, Barry, I'm going to hope that uh, you have not had the opportunity to see this story because uh, even if you had, I feel like it was something need to be brought to our attention because we had a couple of people post this. I would remove it from the uh, the. The, the website or the uh, Facebook group, because I, I didn't want Barry Rose to be able to say, oh, yeah, I've, uh, I've read this story already. So if you have read this story, Barry, in a deep voice, I expect you to go, oh, yeah, I've uh, read this story already. Uh-huh. Barry Rose, the headline reads, overturned semi-truck on interstate appears to spill a load of sex toys all over the roadway. First of all, have you heard this story? I have not. Brandy. Okay. Uh-huh. A crash? Uh, along the interstate between a box truck and an 18-wheeler. It's funny, it's a box truck. And anyway, resulted in quite the traffic delay as a massive mess spread across the highway as a news crew observed the scene from a helicopter and attempted to make out what was on the ground below. Some online believed that the mess was made up of a variety of sex toys. A semi-truck overturned and completely, <laughs> it's good writing here, Barry, completely lost its load. But <laughs> oh, thank you very much. After colliding with a box truck, traffic slowed significantly as traffickers, drivers passing by looked at the mess that had been caused by the accident. There is an aerial shot, Barry. And Barry, I do want to say, let me see if I can find the addendum to this story that I made note of. Excellent use of the word addendum. I know you'll agree. Uh, let's see here. Wait a minute. I have to. Because I took an image of it. <clears throat> All right. From uh, the website dropbox.com. Hi, in response to the massive sex toy spillage on the interstate this morning, Cam Soda, an adult company, is providing immediate relief to those affected by this loss of inventory. Already en route to the citizens, has uh, Cam Soda has dispatched several truckloads full of dildos and lube to replace what was lost in this <laughs> devastating incident. Barry Rose, Florida man. That's a great, that's a great uh, story there. Uh, Florida man or not, Barry. So here's the funny thing. I saw this story, but I didn't see the location. I just, I read the headline and I felt I didn't have to go any farther. So I don't know where it took place. Uh, dildos being transported in a truck. I'm going to say not Florida. Don't don't forget the lube. Yeah, well, the lube maybe, but the dildos now. Yeah, sure. Okay. So Barry Rose, famously the home of the Myriad in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Shout out to our listeners in Oklahoma that are using the dildos and the lube, Barry. That is the end of Florida, man or not. Try Barry, we've rounded the turn. We're heading home. Are you ready for this record-breaking episode? I'm sure it broke some kind of record. Uh, to be finished and to go our merry way. I guess, but Jeff, next week, is that a big milestone for us? It, in fact, is. I'm sure the plaudits will be coming in from around the Internet and the interweb, the Google machine, uh, and people will be sending us uh, the flowery, 
praises. I'm sure uh, Brian Last has some sort of party with champagne and then some sort of cupcakes or something planned for yeah, champagne and cupcakes don't really go together. But, you know, I'm sure he's got all kind of celebrations planned for us. Uh, translated, that means uh, probably when he realizes it, I'll get a message. Hey, congratulations. Five years. Uh, you know, something like that. But that being said, Barry Rose, I will remind you that we are, in fact, a production of the Arcadian uh, Vanguard Podcast Company uh, or network, either one. And on behalf of our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, out there in the city by the bay, and my co-host, Barry Rose, in Plymouth, meaning PA, I will remind you that I am sometimes called the booker, Jeff Bowdrin. And on that note, hey, what the hell, let's take it into Fort Lou. 